the message this morning, we're in week two of a series called My Bad Church Experience. And I think we established last Sunday that pretty much all of us have <laughs> at least one and probably several bad churches, uh, bad church experiences. And we're looking at some of the things that maybe we've experienced or stuff that keeps people away from church or unfortunately even things that churches become known for, like weak coffee or running out of diapers in the nursery, you know, like really serious stuff. Well, you know, some of it is frivolous. Uh, you know, Joyce and I were talking this week about some of the cards that we've received over the years with some of the stuff that people, you know, comment on or some of the, some of the reasons why people leave church. And it doesn't have to be very much sometimes, believe it or not. Uh, but other times we recognize that people really have experienced some, some truly uh, hurtful stuff. And I'm hoping that this series gives us an opportunity to, you know, talk through some of that and work through some of that. And maybe for some of you, you'll, you'll, you'll get some healing on that and be able to move on from those things. We said last Sunday that the church, with a, with a capital C, is built on Jesus. We just got done singing, Jesus, the cornerstone. And Jesus is the foundation of the church. And then he took, he took Peter and he said, you're next. You're the, you're the first one in, and, and we're going to build everything else from this point uh, with you. And Peter was imperfect, and the church has been imperfect ever since. Our vision here at Moncton Wesleyan is that we would be an inviting church. We want to invite everyone we know to everything that we do. That's the vision. We want you to be an inviting church because we believe that knowing Jesus is the most important thing in this world. And so we say things like found people find people and saved people serve people and forgiven people forgive people. And we want to fill this place to capacity many times over. We believe that God has given us this, this room as a container for revival and we want to fill it to capacity many times over and put hell out of business is what we'd like to do. Maybe we could put that on the outside of the building. Putting hell out of business, one changed life at a time. <laughs> and an empty, an empty seat is a serious matter because someone who Christ died for could be sitting in that chair right now and hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and hearing how much God loves them. So an empty seat is a serious matter. We want seats on seats because we want more souls in heaven. And you are the vision. You're like a thousand little billboards, you know, going out in, in, into this city and everywhere else during the week and inviting people, uh, living an invitational life, just inviting people to come and experience Jesus. And when you invite, you'll get, you've learned this to be true, when you invite, you'll get a variety of responses and many of those responses will come from a person's bad church experience, right? Last week we talked about the hypocrite and a true hypocrite is a poser. They're faking. It's, it's a masquerade. And, uh, but they need Jesus. Today we're going to look at the hypocrite's uh, first cousin, probably, like next of kin uh, to the hypocrite. hypocrite. Closely related equally damaging, and when you mention church to some people, when you invite some people to church, uh, this is why they'll look at you as though they would rather chew on tinfoil or stick a fork in their eye. And, and, and it's something like this, that the church is too judgmental. Have you ever heard that one? 
The church is too judgmental. Those people judge others, and I feel like they're judging me, and, and then I feel like I don't measure up, or I won't be accepted. When someone, when, when you hear somebody say, oh, you know, if I walked into the church, the walls would fall down, or lightning would, would strike if I ever walked into a church, what they're doing is they're acknowledging that they're not perfect, and none of us are, and they think that everyone knows what they did last summer, and that as soon as they walk in, that all the door, all the eyes, as soon as they walk in the door, all the eyes will focus on them. And, and, the, and they expect that there are people that, you know, kind of walk on an angle, you know. And, and they've got their theological sleeves all rolled up, ready to get them. And they're going to they're gonna drag them to the altar. And they're going to put them through the Bible thumper 5,000. And they're going to suck all the joy out of their lives. And they'll never laugh again. And they won't be able to eat potato chips again. That's twice if you're keeping Two weeks in a row. And, and that's what they think of when they think of church. They just think, you know what? I, 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 I don't need uh, to be judged. I don't, I don't need that in my life. And, uh, and so that, that because they've, they've, there's real reasons why they feel that way. Our text today uh, comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. By the way, just speaking of Sermon on the Mount, uh, we moved our Israel trip from 2016 to 2017. So now you've got a, a whole extra year to save your loonies and your toonies. And if you would like, if you're interested in going to Israel, write Israel on one of those comment cards, let us know, and we'll keep you in the loop on all of that. But if you go to Israel with us, Pastor David Way was there with me, we can take you to, we will take you to the Mount of Beatitudes overlooking the Sea of Galilee where Jesus spoke the words that we're going to read this morning. We can take you right there. And, and the Sermon on the Mount is filled with hope. God blesses those who are poor. God blesses those who mourn. Uh, Debbie Morrell recently lost her mother. Uh, Eldon's here this morning, recently lost a wife. God blesses those who mourn. God blesses the meek and the humble. It says, you are the salt of the earth. You make things better. You are the light of the world. You, you drive out the darkness. If somebody slaps you in the face, what do you do? You, you say, would you like the other side? And you let them get another whack, another crack at you. If they want your shirt, you give them your coat. You pray for those who persecute you. And he, he gives us the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, teaching us how to approach God. He talks about a proper perspective on money and possessions. This Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, did I mention that? Storing up treasures in heaven that won't rot, rust, or be stolen. He talks about, about worry and trusting God for our daily needs. In fact, our next series in November is going to be on anxiety, worry, and fear. That's coming up in November. So when we get to these, and then we get to these words, Sermon on the Mount, it's in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read the first five verses. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, where Jesus says, Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, there's last week's word, hypocrite. 
First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Jesus mentions two types of judging in this text. There's the judging that we do with each other, and he says, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't just stop it. Don't do that. And, and if you don't judge others, then they won't judge you. And then there's another kind of judgment that he talks about, which is an, e- an eternal judgment that everyone faces. And apparently, heaven keeps score on this. And if you've been judging others on earth, you'll be treated the same way when you exit this world and enter into the next. And Jesus is clear on that. He says, so whatever, whatever way you've been judging others on earth, apparently heaven keeps score and you'll be judged the same way when you enter into eternity. When someone in, in our city or in our communities is invited to this church, to Moncton Wesleyan Church, I wish, my prayer, is that they would not think of all of their bad church experiences, that they would, when, someone, when one of us invites someone to this church or when they hear about this church, that they would think of this place as a place of love, grace, mercy, and good coffee. That's what I would want them to think of, of our church. You see, a whole, a whole host of emotions floods over a person when you invite them to church. And their mind recalls all the reasons why they would rather bath a cat. And one of the expectations that, that, that people have attached to church, either because it's, it's been a, a real experience for them, or because of what they've seen in the media or whatever, is that the church, or that people who go to church, will judge me. They're judgmental. And we can hyphenate that word, judge hyphen mental (laughs) they'll look at me like I am the the biggest sinner in this city they'll treat me like I'm the worst sinner they'll act as if they're better than me and I won't be accepted and I'm not good enough to go to that church those those people are churchy people and I won't fit in (laughs) amen surely And modern media is, is not much help on this because they like to focus the spotlight on all the, all the negative things around church. And they focus the spotlight on all the things that, that church is against. And they want to build hype as though the church is against everyone and everything. Uh, last week, there was desperate flooding in South Carolina. And I know a lot of good churches who are doing some great, great Uh, outstanding work to help the flood victims in South Carolina. And I didn't see many, many uh, uh, cameras focused on what the church was doing to reach out and and to to help people, how the church was stepping up and how the church was was being a neighbor, a good neighbor when, when their neighbors needed it the most. But boy, you let a church take a stand on something and the cameras, all of a sudden, you know, the, 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 the trucks will start pouring in and the satellite trucks will start coming in and the cameras will be on if the church takes a visible stand on something and they'll, 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 they'll play that tape over and over and over. And what they do is they paint every church with the same brush and then people start to think that, well, if it's church, then they all must be the same and they all must be judgmental and they all must be filled with hate and they all must, you know, and, and people just see it all the same way. And then, then when you invite your friends, they're like, I don't think I, I, I want to be a part of 
See, and they're, they're just, they've been tainted by, by what, what they've seen. They feel like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be one of those people. Jesus told us to love our neighbors, and yet for too many people, when they hear the word church, all they see in their mind is a picket sign and somebody filled with anger and hate. Now, no question, a lot of churches have done a lot of harm. They've been judge hyphen mental. And people have been hurt personally by mean-spirited, narrow-minded, holier-than-thou church people who take the gavel right out of Jesus' hands and say, I'll judge them. I'll judge them right now. Give me that gavel. But what example did Jesus set? Last week we mentioned that he reserved his harshest judgment for the people who thought they were the most religious. Jesus reserved his harshest judgment for the people who thought they were the most religious, the Pharisees. Jesus told them, you're a joke, and you're not fooling anyone. So if we're following Jesus' example and paying attention to the example that he set, what did he do? He, he walked in to people's lives. He sat with them. He ate with them. He talked to them. And through relationship, he led them to the truth. Uh, over a couple of chapters in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus reaches out to Matthew, a tax collector. Now, if you're here this morning and you work for uh, Revenue Canada, we love you. <laughs> Let me be clear. We love paying taxes. Yay, taxes. All right? We love you. We're not judging you at all, okay? It, but in this context, in Matthew chapter 9, uh, for these people, th th there, were, there were sinners, and then there were tax collectors in that, in that culture of the time, okay? Not in our day, not today, not among the Western, okay? But I'm just saying, in that culture, there were sinners, and then there were tax collectors. They were in a category of their own. And so you might spit towards them, you might ignore them, you might hurl insults at them, you might shake your fists at them, but you would not walk up to them and treat them like they matter. And Jesus walks up to Matthew's table and engages him in conversation. We don't know the full, you know, we don't know the conversation, but apparently Matthew saw something different in Jesus that he had never seen in anyone else. And when Jesus said, Matthew, why don't you leave all this and, and follow me, Matthew gets up from the table and just follow his, follows Jesus. Because of the way that Jesus treated Matthew, Matthew knows that Jesus is safe, and he's not just safe for Matthew. Now Matthew knows he's safe for all my friends, all my sinner friends. They're going to love this guy. This guy is different than anyone else I've ever met. Now, this is huge for us this morning. We have to get this, okay? Jesus is God. He is the word of God. He's the flesh of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one or no thing any holier than Jesus. This church right here, Moncton Wesleyan, this church represents Jesus. And we stand for all the things 
This book says to stand for. We have deep convictions about right and wrong. There are ways that the Bible says to live and ways that the Bible says not to live. And we agree on that. And here you have in Matthew 9, you have Jesus, the very embodiment of all things right and holy. And he walks right in to Matthew's house with a group of people that Matthew himself called the, the, the disreputable sinners. Matthew said, like, this is, this is the, the fringe of the fringe, the marginalized. This, this is the, you know, the worst sinners in town. And Jesus, who is the very truth himself, walks right into that setting. Anyone, all capital letters, anyone, should be able to walk into this house and be welcomed and loved and have an opportunity to sit with Jesus and have the truth of God revealed to them without being judged. Without being judged. And the religious crowd asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Imagine. Well, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus overheard that and jumped in. And he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And he said, I'd rather show mercy than sacrifices. I'm not here for people who think they are righteous, but for those who know they are sinners. Well, let's put this screen up here. The behave, believe, belong. I haven't done this for a long time. I and mean, some, some of you can, can recite this. You've heard it so much. But there's some of you here this morning who have never heard this before. Um, too many churches function this way, that when you first come to their church, the first feeling that you get, like the messages that they send, is that you have to behave. And that's a bad experience. And everything about, everything about that church says, you need to talk like us, you need to dress like us, you need to act like us. You need to stop doing that. You need to start doing this. You need to carry a Bible that's so big and heavy it's sponsored by a chiropractor. <laughs> and they, they want you to behave. And you feel judged as soon as you're there. And, and if you behave like them, and if you believe like them, then and only then will they let you belong. Now, let's change that up a little bit. Go to the next slide. Shazam. Next slide. Oh, he already did. Okay, okay, okay. In my notes, there's behave, believe, belong, and it's over top. So my, my notes looks different. Okay, good job. Thank you up there. Um, this is the way, this is a much better way. That when you come to our church, the first thing that you feel is, wow, I belong. You're welcome. You're loved. And people embrace you with open arms. And they say, we're so glad that you're here. You've come to the right place. And no one's 
talking about where you've been or what you look like or what you've done or anything like that. You just embrace people the way that Jesus walked into Matthew's house for dinner that day and sat down with the most, uh, the, the, the biggest sinners in town. And uh, Matthew knew that was going to be safe because Jesus wouldn't judge them. He would love them. And you make people feel like they belong. And because, because they've been so accepted and so loved, they want to believe. They're like, wow, this, this is the real deal. I'm finally seeing Jesus clearer than I've ever seen Jesus before. I didn't even know there was a group of people like this. I didn't even know there was a church that like this. And, and, and I, that has to be the real deal. That has to be true Christianity. That has to be the way that Jesus intended for it to be. And so after they belong and after they believe, it's the Holy Spirit's job to help them behave. It's not, it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not our job to, you know, walk around with a, with a stick and correct behavior. Um, so, anyhow, that's the, that's the whole behave, uh, belong, believe, behave uh, bit. There's a place for friends and mentors to speak into our lives, and that's not judgment, okay? There is a place for friends and mentors to speak into your life, it's not like the, every time somebody talks to you about something, you have to say, stop judging me. You're judging me, okay? There's, there is a difference. There is a place for friends and mentors to speak into our lives. That's wise counsel. If someone who loves you is trying to keep you from ruining your life, okay, that doesn't mean that they're judging you. If their spirit is right and there's trust in the relationship, we need people. We need people to keep us from, from stumbling and, and, and to help us. Uh, verse 5 of Matthew chapter 7 tells us, actually, that it is okay to help your neighbor, your friend, with their speck, as long as you're dealing with your junk first. But, but verse 5 says it is okay, all right? Well, let's go back to verse 2 for, for a moment. And they're doing such a great job with the media. I just turn around, it's there. It's always there, ultra-dependable. Verse 2, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. When Matthew used the word standard, he was giving people a visual illustration of a, a tool of measurement that was used in uh, grain trading. Okay? Probably a, a long stick with several notches on the stick, and it was a tool of measurement that they used in grain trading. And everyone had their own standard. Everybody had their own, their own stick. If you were a grain farmer, you had your own standard of measurement. And if you were buying and selling grain, the practice was that uh, you wouldn't be able to use your stick, and the other guy would use his stick, and then you would argue it out. The practice was you would always use, the, you would always go by the buyer's stick. The buyer's standard of measurement is the tool that you would use. And so when Matthew talks here about, about a, a, the standard that you use is a standard that will be used on you, he's saying that when you judge people, you are, you are measuring them by your standard. You're, measure, you're taking out your, your, your long measuring stick that's got notches all over it. It's a standard of measurement. And you're, you're, you, you're measuring people by your standard. You size people up. And we make judgments about people all the time. We think we know their story. We place them in categories. You look at someone and in a second, 
You make a whole bunch of decisions that you believe to be true about that person, and you don't even know. You don't have a clue what's going on in that person's world. And our mind jumps to all sorts of conclusions and decisions that we've, that we've made. We gauge people against the decisions that we've made, or we, we gauge people against where we live. And Matthew says we, we put a mark on a stick, and it's wrong because we're all sinners in need of God's grace. We're not better than anyone. And it doesn't matter what you drive or, or where you live or what you wear or what job you have or what your education is or how many marriages you've had or what your addictions are or what lifestyle choices you've made. That there is only one God and it's not you. That there is only one judge and it's not you. And Matthew says to be careful because when you pull out that standard of measurement, and you size people up, and you, you put them lower on the stick than you put yourself. Be careful, Matthew says, because someday you will be measured, and God will measure you the same way with the same standard that you're using on other people. And it's so easy to do, and it happens in just a blink. The mind is an amazing thing. I mean, when you, when you see someone, when someone, when a face comes into view and you see someone, okay, your mind goes through, your mind spins through the whole, the entire Rolodex of your life. Anyone under 40 doesn't know what a Rolodex is. <laughs> the hard drive of your life. And it searches and it brings up this person in an instant and it tells you what emotion you want to attach to that person. It's fascinating how the mind does that so, so quickly like that. And it's hard to hide an emotion. And in an instant, our mind will jump to conclusions about people. And I, Tim Guptill, I ask God for forgiveness about this all the time. And I'll see someone, and my mind will jump to conclusions. And I'll say, Lord, Lord, help me. Why am I doing that? I don't know their story. I don't know what they're going through. Why am, why am I thinking I've got that person's situation all figured out? Why am I, and I, and I don't like that about myself. And I said, Lord, help me. I don't want to be that kind of a person that just jumps to all these conclusions and thinks, thinks I know all the reasons why that person is in that situation or going through that or whatever. I ask for forgiveness for this all the time. God, help me. Help me to see people the way that you see them. Help me to see them as somebody that you created, as a soul that, it, that will last for eternity. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I, and I pray for this all the time. Lord, Lord, help me. In John chapter 8, the religious leaders trap a woman in adultery. And they drag her out into the street. Literally rip her from the act of adultery. Drag her out into the street to draw a crowd. And then they try to trap Jesus with how he will judge her. And they, Matthew says they already have the stones in their hand. In other words, this was planned. Probably had the stone all picked out and, uh, you know, thought, oh, cool, there's going to be a judgment today and someone's going to get stoned to death and lucky me, I get to throw a stone, you know. And so they already have the stones in their hands hoping that someone would be judged. And they even try to trap Jesus with scripture and they say the law of Moses says that she should be stoned, teacher. 
What do you say? And so Jesus sees their, their standard of measurement. They're putting themselves at the top, and they're putting this poor woman down at the bottom. And with one sentence, he levels the playing field. And he says, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And one by one, the rocks start to drop. And then they all drop. And then they leave. And Jesus says to the woman, none of your accusers condemn you, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now go and sin no more is loaded. It's grace and truth. Go is grace. And sin no more is truth. It's grace and truth. Back to our text, verse 3. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me, let me help you with that, when you can't see past the log in your own hypocrite? First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This is kind of a comical illustration of somebody who is clueless. They're oblivious. They're going around pointing out imperfections in others when they themselves have this large plank, you know, in, the, in their face. And like, oh, you got a little something on your nose there. And, and they've got this giant plank hanging off their head. They're clueless. They're oblivious. They have this glaring issue in their own life that they either don't see or they're ignoring. And maybe the point of Jesus' illustration is that judging others is a far bigger issue far bigger issue than all, than all the other things, than all the other stuff we get upset over. Maybe a judgmental spirit blinds us to the real needs of others. Like if you're looking at others through a plank or a measuring stick, everything is going to be out of focus. See, we only see the sin, but Jesus sees the symptom. And here's our main point for today. We can't see people as Jesus sees them if we're trying to be Jesus before they see him. <laughs> Lord, help us to not judge others. We can't see people as Jesus sees them if we're quick. We make judgments about people and we're judgmental. If we're trying to be Jesus, give me the gavel. Give me the gavel. Bam! Guilty if we're trying to be Jesus before they see him. God, help me not to measure others and make assumptions about their lives. Dull the impulse in me to gauge and judge others. Make me quick to love, quick to show mercy, quick to extend grace. Help others to see Jesus in me and to see the truth through me by how I live and how I love others. Forgive me of my sin. Remove the planks in my life, the planks that I use to judge others, the planks that are blinding me from others' real needs. There is one judge and one judgment. The Bible is clear on this. Someday we will all stand before God. And that doesn't, that doesn't have to be something that terrifies you. Wouldn't that be something that you're afraid of? It means that God is just and we'll all be held accountable for how, how we've lived, who we have served, 
how we've treated others, what we've done for the least of these. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly awaiting him. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, thank you again, Lord, for your word that has come alive to us, for your spirit that is here teaching us, guiding us, drawing us closer. Lord, I pray that you would help us, each one of us here this morning, to to not judge others, to love others as you love them. I pray, God, that if any of us here this morning need to be forgiven, like I do, uh, Lord, that you you would forgive us this morning. And God, make this a place where anyone can come through our doors and sit at the feet of Jesus and hear the good news and receive both grace and truth. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has been hurt by a church, they've had a bad church experience, I pray, God, that you would give them some healing this morning. I pray that you would help them to to get past that and to see clearly how good God is and how, how much Christ loves them. Lord, for anyone here this morning who does not know you, as their Savior. I pray, God, today that you would give them the the strength and the courage to trust you and to believe in you. And on Thanksgiving Sunday morning, 2015, to invite you to come into their life and to trust you as their Savior and live for you, live the rest of their life following you. So, Lord, be with us now as we respond and worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm, uh, I wasn't sure how, how uh, I was going to totally land the plane here this morning, but I, I feel God uh, leading me to give an invitation right now, and then we'll sing. And uh, just feeling this morning like there, there's at least someone here this morning, maybe several who uh, this is your time right now. This is your time right now to come to, to come to Jesus Christ and accept him as your savior. And all we want to do is, is cheer for you and encourage you and pray for you. And uh, we, we give you this opportunity. It's a little bold, but, uh, but hey, if you're going to follow Jesus the rest of your life, this is nothing. And uh, we want this to be a church family and we want this to be a safe place. And so if... if if this morning is your morning to say, Pastor Tim, I haven't had a relationship with Jesus, but right now in this moment, I wanted to invite him to be Lord of my life. I want to trust him as my Savior, and I'm going to serve him, and I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to love him, and he will be first in my life for the rest of my life. 
Now, if that's you this morning, I encourage you to stand with all eyes open and everyone looking around. And uh, you stand to your feet this morning saying, today's a day. I'm going to accept Jesus Christ. The congregation will cheer for you. And then I'll pray for you. And uh, then David's going to lead us in a song. Is there anyone this morning who would want to stand to their feet and say, Thanksgiving Sunday, I'm coming to Christ. Here in the balcony. Hey! <laughs> yeah. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> oh. Wow. Three people standing there. How exciting is that? Heaven just threw a party. Heaven is going nuts and rejoicing for those people. Is there anyone else who would like to stand this morning? So exciting. Oh, good for you. <laughs> good for you. Congratulations. <laughs> That's awesome. Ken's got some material there for you. He's just going to give you a few things to help you out. But I'm going to pray for these people who have stood. Anyone else? Let's pray together, church, and I'll pray specifically with those folks who stood as they simply say, Jesus Christ, I believe you are the Son of God. And right now in this moment, I'm inviting you to come into my life. <laughs> Make me brand new this morning. <laughs> Transform my life. Give me a fresh start. Power wash my soul. Forgive me of any wrong that I've ever done. I thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life right now. I believe that you, were, that you came to this earth, born of a virgin, and you died on a sinner's cross for me. And you paid the ultimate price for my sin. And right now in this moment, I receive your grace and your mercy. And God, I believe that you rose again and that someday we'll spend eternity together. And so from this point forward, I will follow you. I will serve you. I will give you my whole life. I love you today. Thank you for coming in and rescuing me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.